Who would say in the room or online today that you have willpower, strong willpower? Raise your hand. A few people. I'm not going to shame you. It's okay. Do you have strong willpower? Like you can look at a project and you're going to get it done. You've got some strong willpower. I know I have strong willpower and sometimes, I mean, that's a great thing, right? Because you can get a lot of stuff done. But there's a dark side to willpower, and I think that's just being stubborn, right? And I think that plays out a lot for me. I just become kind of a stubborn person. And this actually played out about a week ago um, in in a horrific way. Um, And I'm going to tell the story, but my wife, um, she'd like to kill me, I think, sometimes. So it actually started out that way. My wife, uh, she said, you know, the lawn needs to be mowed. Um, and I said, yeah, you're right, it does. So I love mowing the lawn because I have a zero-turn riding lawnmower that gets to ride around, and that's, that's just fun. Um, and so I'm going to get out there and do it, but she said, hey, there's a tree limb that was kind of destroyed during some of the winter storms we had this past year, and there, it's like it's touching the ground pretty well. And so we need to trim that before you can get up there and, or get out there and mow because, you know, you don't want to you know, run over the tree limb. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. She said, well, why don't we go pick up a pole saw, um, and then, then you can take care of the, the, the limb, and then you can mow. I said, sure, sure. So she leaves to go get a pole saw for me. Very appreciative of it. But I get a little anxious because I just kind of want to mow the lawn because it's getting long. So I get out on the lawnmower. I'm mowing, and she's gone. And I get to the point where the tree is there, and I'm facing the tree limb, and it's just me and the tree limb. And I'm like, I see a point where I can, like, move my head enough to where I, 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 the, the, the tractor might be hit, but I'm not going to be hit by this thing, so I'll be fine. So I get ready, and I engage, like, full throttle, as you do, right? And I'm just going full speed at this tree limb, and I go to kind of dodge it, and it snags my neck. And so I don't know if you've ridden on a riding lawnmower, like a zero turn, but, you know, you got the handlebars. It can be a little tricky. So I went to reach to kind of grab the tree limb with my left arm. And as I did that, my right arm went forward, and I started, like, spinning. And I get all tangled up in this tree limb. And it, like, destroys me. I mean, I got, like, scratches all over my neck. My hair is, like, just crazy. And so, I, I, of course, I just finished mowing because... I had to get the job done, and at the, the, about the time I'm finishing, I'm walking across the driveway, and Cynthia, my wife, starts driving up with, you know, with the pole saw, and um, she can see from the car that I'm like a mangled mess. <laughs> like, she thought I got in a fight with a cat or something. I, I mean, I had scratches all over myself, and it just goes to show, though, that, that your stubbornness can kind of lead you um, into some, some, some not great things. And today, I want to look at um, the, the most stubborn prophet probably in the Bible. And his name, you can see on the screen, is Jonah. Now, we all know the story of Jonah. Maybe even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard the story of Jonah and the whale. But today I want us to look at it with a different lens than maybe you heard it as a child, because Jonah really isn't that child story that we heard. I'm going to summarize it real quick for you. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them of their evil ways and that they're going to be destroyed, right? And what does, what does Jonah do? He says, no, I'm not doing that. 
He goes the complete opposite way, gets on a boat in Joppa, headed toward Tarshish, and um, God sends a storm because he's like, nah. And the sailors on the, on the boat knew the storm was so bad that it had to be supernatural, like it had to be coming from something else. This wasn't normal. And so they kind of get to the bottom of the fact that, like, Jonah's running from God. And so they throw Jonah overboard, right? He goes in the water, and there's a whale that swallows him, and he lives in the whale for three days, prays this prayer of desperation to the Lord. Um, Lord gets him out, gives him a second chance, go to Nineveh, Jonah. And so he does, right? Good for, good, good for Jonah, right? He's so good. He's, he's just great. That's kind of the end of the story that we generally hear but there's so much more to it because then Jonah goes and, and tells them of their ways, tells them they're going to be, be overturned, and they repent. And what does God do? He has grace and he has mercy on the Ninevites, and then Jonah gets really, really upset with the Lord, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first we need to understand that... Um, this is a message from God to Jonah. This is a message from God to Jonah right at the beginning. But it's a really, really strange request. Because back in that time, I know today it's very normal that, you know, we send missionaries all across the world uh, to, to speak the name of Jesus. Back then, a Hebrew prophet going to a Gentile city was not a thing. So, God asking him to do that, the concept of preaching to a foreign country full of non-Jewish people was not normal. Secondly, Nineveh was an incredibly cruel and evil place. Uh, it was the capital of Assyria, which was great enemies of the Israelites. And Jonah also, he was known as a, as a, uh, as a respected prophet. So why send Jonah of all people? And I think sometimes we need to understand that when we're being pushed into something that feels a little uncomfortable, that maybe isn't, doesn't feel quite right, then maybe it is a message from the Lord. And I want to say to everybody in the room first before we kind of dive in that, you know, you may feel at times that, or ashamed that you don't really hear from the Lord, or you don't, you don't, you don't really know when you're hearing from the Lord um, I want to say that it, in hindsight, though, it's easier to talk about what God said in the past tense than what God is saying in the present tense. Does that make sense? So you think back on your life, and you think about the ways that God has just provided, I mean, he's guided you and directed you. It's a little easier today to say, yeah, God totally wanted me to do this, and I did this. Um, but in the present tense, it's a little bit more difficult. And Pastor Josh Seaman gave a great message a couple of weeks ago uh, on Palm Sunday and, and talked a little bit about, um, you know, how, how do you know when God's calling you into something? And he gave a great list from John Mark Comer. But I think a good question to, to ask ourselves is, does it stretch me? Is the thing that I'm, being, that I'm hearing and being pushed into, does it stretch me? And also, you know, you're probably not hearing from God if, number one, he always agrees with you, Right? <laughs> You're probably not hearing from God if he's confirming all of your biases. If it's not challenging you, or maybe it benefits you in ways that are at the expense of somebody else, it's probably not from God. He rarely tells you to play it safe. 
Generally, God is asking you to face your fears, come face to face to the things that he knows you need to confront. But once we know what God wants us to do, and we don't obey his will, we need to understand that there are storms on the horizon. Resistance to God's will leads you into storms. And we see this in Jonah, chapter 1, verse 4. After he asked Jonah to go, and Jonah gets on a boat, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Tim Keller said, The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. Now, there's three reasons we may experience the consequence from sin, three types of sin. So there's the original sin, Adam and Eve, right? Because of that, since that day going forward, we live in a broken world uh, filled with pandemics and diseases and famines and wars, things that we don't control. Number two, there's, there's consequences from someone else's sin. So think about a, a drunk driver hitting some, somebody and killing a family member. There's consequence to that sin, again, that, that you had no control over, but it was their sin. And thirdly, there's, there's consequence from our own sin. And sometimes God is going to send a storm because of your sin. Sometimes we don't like this idea, and we, we want to reject the fact that God may, may send us a storm we're, we're uncomfortable with this idea, but he does it. In Colossians uh, chapter th- 3, Paul's writing uh, instructions for households. Uh, he's talking about the relationship between wives and, and husbands, children, and parents. And we'll pick up here in verse 23. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human ma- masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, It is the Lord you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So focus on that. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. In other words, there are consequences for our sin. There are consequences for living outside of God's will for your life. And here Jonah is experiencing the consequence of disobeying God's will. God's very clear with him. Go and go to Nineveh. And he does it. He does it the other way. And, he, and God basically says, okay, Jonah, let's do this the hard way then. We'll do it the hard way. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Where things just are a little bit harder because we didn't make the, 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 the initial right choice? I know for me, when I graduated high school, I knew God wanted to send me to Evangel University and get a psychology degree for whatever reason. I'm not using it, but I, I, he told me to do that. <laughs> but I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. So I went to community college for a couple of years, and I floated for a while. Um, I, I, and no, nothing against community college. I love it. But I, I mean, I created horrible habits for my life, for my studying. And then finally, I realized, no, I need to go to Evangel. By that point, when I got there, I had no friends. I lived off campus. Um, um, I, I had no relationships with professors, so it was just a really, really difficult experience. It took me a lot longer to get through school. Finally made it happen. But because of my stubbornness and fear, um, 
you know, I, I, I had to kind of go through a bit of a storm there. And, you know, God is sovereign. He gives us free will. We get to make all the choices that we want. But if we make them based on our own wants and our own desires and against his will, yes, he's still going to love you. You're still a part of the family. But you can't expect that you get to just hide from it. Jonah thought he could just run, hide from God. But Jonah said, no, I'm going to send a storm. Remember, it says God shows no favoritism. So we all will experience the consequences of sin. Now that I've kind of like depressed you a little bit, I apologize for that. Um, God's grace is bigger than your sin. Right? So whatever you've done, God's grace is bigger than that. And we see here in verse 17, God's grace for Jonah. It says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Do you see that word? Provided. I've always kind of grew up thinking that the whale was part of the punishment, was part of the consequence. But this is a provision from the Lord. Jonah thought it was punishment, but it's actually God's grace. And, you know, again, we're, we are uncomfortable with that, this idea that, that God may make life a little difficult for us in a moment. But he does this because he wants us back in his will. He did this for Jonah. He said, he said here's the whale to swallow him so he could be there for three days to save him from the storm, save him from his own consequence, right? He wanted to say to Jonah, come back to me. You're off track come back. And he wants to say that to you as well today. God loves you so, so much that he will work in ways that we can't understand. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to bring you back to him, even if it hurts. Now I want to jump back just two verses real quick, and let's notice something else that God is doing in this storm. In verse 15, it says, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See, God has reasons for doing things beyond anything that we can ever see or know. Jonah thought the storm was just for him, right? But in the end, God had other plans as well for, for the others that were, that were in the boat. By just calming the storm... God brought a bunch of non-God-fearing sailors to him. And they feared him. They offered sacrifices and made vows to him. I mean, that's awesome. That God is just doing a million things behind the scenes without us knowing it. I bet Jonah never even knew this part of the story. So then I think the question that we can ask at times in the midst of storms, however they've been brought on to you, is, God, what do you want to do with this storm? What do you want to do with this challenge? You know, I think even sometimes in the, in the way that we pray for, for, for healing and, and all the things, that, 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 and I believe God heals and he wants to do that in our lives, and we should continue to. My favorite part of Sunday morning is standing up here and praying for individuals that need healing. But I also think that when we're going through these things, to ask the question, God, what do you want to do with it? What do you want to do through me? 
How do you want to minister to others through this storm? So Jonah swallowed by the whale. He prays this prayer of desperation, um, which I believe in the moment was probably real. God gives him a second chance, tells him to go to Nineveh and tell them of their, their destruction. Now, I think it's important that we see some of Jonah's characteristics in ourselves, but I also think it might be important that we see uh, some of the Ninevites in ourselves as well, because we can be just as stubborn or just as self-righteous as, as Jonah, but we can also have the tendency to be just as evil as the Ninevites. And the, the Ninevites were evil. I mean, they were as evil as evil comes. You think about the worst terrorists in our world, and they were doing those types of things. But God had grace for Nineveh. So upon hearing what they heard from Jonah, this is what they, this is what they did. This is what happens in, in verse 6, chapter 3. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from, turn, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. See, so they turn their eyes towards God in an act of desperation here. And in history tells us that uh, the Ninevites eventually kind of go back to, to their evil ways. Uh, but in this moment, they turn their eyes to God. And in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned the, from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the, the, the destruction he had threatened. So even the Ninevites were given God's grace and compassion. So if you're here today and you believe that you're too far from God, or you believe you've sinned so heavily that, that there's no hope for you, this is proof right here in the text that you do. And that God is always there waiting for you. He's always there trying to bring you back into his will. So believe that today if you're struggling with that. Believe that he wants you, and he's running after you. He wants you. Now, once we make this decision to, to be in his will, once we, once we decide to be obedient to the Lord, there's a humility that we have to have in that. And Jonah's going to show us how he didn't. Because living in God's will demands humility. And this part of the story, I think, is maybe one that we might leave out a little bit in, in, in Sunday school when we were kids. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says, and I want you to catch the irony, I hope you can. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from ascending calamity. 
Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He preferred to die than to see God have compassion on his enemies. I mean, it's ironic anyways, because God just finished saving Jonah, right, from the storm and giving him a second chance. And Jonah's still standing at this moment really only because of that, right? And then he says, now take away my life. I mean, what a stubborn baby. I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home, he says, basically. You didn't do what I said, Lord. You did exactly what I thought you'd do. Can you imagine talking to God like that? Wow. The nerve. And we may not get to a place where we blatantly talk to God like that. But I think we do it with our actions. I think we do it with our actions every single day. Have you ever been afraid to forgive someone because you think God might have mercy on them? Have you ever been so hurt and angry with someone that you'd rather see them fail? You'd rather see their destruction than for them to have God's mercy? Have you ever disagreed with a leader in your life so much that you can't even be humble enough to ask God to have grace and mercy on them? I know I've done that. But what we need to understand is that our, our obedience, just because we are obedient, does not give us control of the results. That is up to God. God's judgment is not up to us. And so then we have to come to a place of humble obedience that says, Lord, I'll do what you've asked, and you do the rest. Lord, I'll go and I'll forgive this person, and you deal with their heart in your way, Lord. It's not up to me. Lord, I don't agree with this person, and they've hurt me deeply, but God, have grace on them, please. Living in God's will demands humility. I've been reading a book by Eugene Peterson called The Jesus Way. And in it, he, he says, are you using God or are you letting God use you? You see, Jonah wanted to use God. Sometimes we want to use God for our own desires. In verse 5 through 11, it says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. See, he's just, he wants to go out there and just kind of see, just hope the destruction would come. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said again, here we go, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And again, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have, you have been concerned about this plant, but you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, 
in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from the left, and also many animals. And the book closes. It's the last line. It's the last you'll hear of Jonah. And Jesus references him later on in the New Testament, but we don't hear from Jonah again. It's almost like God is saying, Am I not God, Jonah? Am I not the one who's in control? Am I not the one who gives and takes away? You don't get the res- to have control over the results of these things. You get to have obedience to me, he says. And yet Jonah still, even in this moment, wants to die because he cares far more about his own well-being than he does for the 120,000 people who will perish. He's clinging to his self-righteousness, stubborn, unwilling to allow God to even teach him a lesson in this moment. And the story closes on Jonah as being someone that really just wants to reside in his own will. May we not be that. May we be people that, that go after the will of God as hard as it can be. May we be people that go after the will of God. You see, Jonah wanted to use God to accomplish the things he thought were important, right? Jonah had given no thought to the sailors, no thought or care to the Ninevites. He wanted his way and not God's. And, you know, Jonah probably, he had a point here. I mean, the Ninevites were awful. They probably deserved judgment. But God had a different plan beyond Jonah's understanding. And I think we can get mixed up with this at times. We can think, you know, we understand. We get it. We, we, we get the whole picture. And, and we understand what needs to happen without even talking to God about it. So are we using God or are we letting God use us? Are you saying to God, use me, Lord, how you want to use me? Or is it, I really want this for my life, Lord. Could you please make it happen? Are you saying, God, I'm willing to, to, to do what you ask and, and forgive this person? Or do you prefer that he places his judgment on them instead? The story really comes down to God's character versus Jonah's character. God's character versus our character. God's grace and compassion on this broken world versus our stubbornness and self-righteousness. God's willing, willingness to send his one and only son versus our tendency to really just want to look after number one. This past Wednesday night, we had a, uh, a Q&A with Pastor Jim. We were ending our Philippians series for scriptures. And um, at the end, I asked him if there was a particular thing from Philippians that he wanted us as a church to, to understand and to know and to, to learn um, and this is what he said. He, he pulled out Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, in which Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So for me, this is about constantly having a posture of asking God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to work in me and through me Lord, and what are the other things that you want to do through the challenges that I face 
whether they've been, they've been brought on by myself or they've been brought on by someone else, what is it that you want to do through these things? And can I have the humility that it takes to walk in step with the Lord?